There are nine ways of seeing and nine ways of processing what we see. And most people think that we're all pretty much alike and we're actually not. And it doesn't do any good to talk to people in a way that they can't hear you. And any kind of true resolution of conflict or disagreement is a result of shared understanding and affirmation, not of someone winning and someone losing. Hey there. Welcome back. I'm Seth, your host. This is the Can I Say This at Church podcast. The show is over 30 episodes, and I find that amazing. I never in my wildest dreams thought that that would happen. Honestly, I'm, I'm every week amazed at, at everyone that listens to this show and everyone that is emailing and everyone that is talking about things online and Twitter and just the community that I have found in you and in people like you. It's so encouraging to know that we can all do faith and work through our faith together. That is not possible without the support of our Patreon supporters. It's not possible without iTunes reviews. It is not possible without shares on Facebook and Twitter. And you all have answered the call on that, and I would ask you to continue to do so. Uh, slowly but surely, the Patreon support is coming, and and a few of you over the last few weeks have made that plunge, even at a dollar a month. I can't tell you how thankful I am for you. And if there's anything that I've learned this year, it is, well, I'm becoming better at, at learning how to give thanks and recognize when something is bigger than me. And so thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Today, well, let me start by saying this. I, and you can ask my close friends, have always been slightly skeptical of things like Myers-Briggs and other personality tests. I kind of think that people are what they are and, and it's too hard to pigeonhole people in and you'll hear me go through that with the guests. So I was able to speak with Suzanne Stabile, uh, a bit of Suzanne, and then tell you a little bit of what to expect in the show. So she is highly sought after speaker and teacher. She, she likes to laugh. She is extremely genuine, and you will hear that in her voice. There is a, ah, what's the word I'm looking for? There is a familial tone when you're speaking with her. You can't help but want to talk more. I greatly enjoyed this, and I'll tell you why. There's a portion in the show where I question whether or not I am what I am uh, on the Enneagram, and throughout talking it through, she's like, well, that's you know, it sounds a lot like you, and, and I'm still sitting with it. If I'm honest, I'm still wrestling with it. I don't... There's parts of it that I'm afraid to be anything. I think to put a wall around what could be my personality in my mind is somehow limiting but I can also see where it would be freeing because it allows me to build up vertically which I think is what we all need to do as opposed to continuing to build out horizontally so in, in today's episode we talk about Suzanne's latest book prior to that the uh, she wrote a book the road back to you with Ian Cron and this is sort of a follow-up to that and, and a more deep dive into it. The title of her latest book is called The Path Between Us. And it is specifically about relationships. And I know when I read the cover, I thought that meant more like marriage. 
and it doesn't. It is the relationships and learning how to be more graceful and learning to understand ourselves in all of the relationships. So the people that we see at the little league fields, the people that we work with, the people that we get in line behind at the grocery store, everyone that we interact with, we're going to have some form of a relationship. And so this is talking about navigating the interactions that we have day to day. Because whether or not we like it, the people in our lives, we all have a relationship with. And the goal should not be to push people away. The goal should be to invite them in. Uh, That is the community of our church. Let's get into it. Roll the tape. Suzanne Stabile. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining the Can I Say This at Church podcast. Can't tell you how thankful I am and how appreciative I am of you making the time to come on. And I know we've had some some rescheduling. And so thank you for your willingness to still being able to be here. I'm so glad to be here. You know, I'm a pastor's wife. And the way I usually hear this phrase is, Suzanne, you can't say that in church. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of good with the, the whole idea of can I say this in church. Well, good. Suzanne, I know you're in Dallas. I know you know the Enneagram quite well. I have enjoyed reading your books, but not everyone listening will have had that privilege or will even know what the Enneagram is. So I was hoping maybe you could tell us a bit about you and your upbringing, kind of what your path through faith and life has been that brought you to where you're at now in your career. And then, and then maybe just a quick, you know, from floor 10 to floor one on the elevator, if that's even possible, just what we can expect to, to learn from the Enneagram as we have this conversation over the next few minutes. Okay. Um, I'm 67, so I've got a little bit of a long story. I'm an adopted child, actually. My parents, um, my dad's a doc was and my mom was a nurse and my parents had two biological children who were boys 18 and 15. My dad delivered me and I was available for adoption and literally in 48 hours they decided to adopt me. So I've decided I must have been quite something as a newborn. (laughs) Um, I grew up in a community in the panhandle of Texas of 5,000 people and I remember being aware young that Most kids looked like their parents. My brothers looked like my parents, and I didn't. So I started, I think, intuitively looking for belonging by watching how people behave. And I began to identify with people who behave the way I do or who seem to have a personality similar to mine. My goal in life was to coach college basketball, and I came to SMU and as a freshman played women's basketball, and then I was the first coach at SMU after title. And that actually required a lot of uh, negotiating. Um, Women's basketball and women's athletics in the 70s was uh, new and cost money. And so I began to find my way in communicating with people in a way that they could hear. And then I ended up teaching theology in a Catholic high school, uh, even though I grew up United Methodist. And... um, I kind of got absorbed into the Catholic Church for a time and and found uh, a spirituality and a religion that was different from mine, but that had a lot to offer me, I thought. Mm -hmm. 
I was Catholic for 10 years. Uh, the reason I left Catholic Church is because uh, I married uh, a former priest. And I was a single mom with three children. Joe and I married, and he adopted my three, and we had a fourth. And he's now been a United Methodist pastor for the last 29 years. Hmm. And um, so I've lived my whole life in the church, uh, one of two. I'm thankful for both expressions of faith. And years and years ago, my husband, Joe, uh, who was with the Vincentian Fathers, decided that he was going to call Father Richard Rohr and see if he would meet with us. And uh, if you don't know Father Rohr or his work, he's a Franciscan priest. Uh, He's two years older than Joe, so he's 74. And the Enneagram is part of his body of work. And after some reading and discussion, he encouraged me to learn and teach the Enneagram. He taught me and uh, he asked me to wait for a number of years before I started teaching because he was always concerned that the Enneagram would become a parlor game. So I studied for five years and I've been teaching for 25. What do you mean? uh, I am familiar with Richard Rohr. I love his work. And he has, similar to you, so when I talk to you, I'm also from uh, West Texas, myself. Um, where did where are you from? You said you were born in the Panhandle. Where are you from? I, I'm from Midland, uh, Odessa. Well, I'm from Floyd Ada. That's just uh, what's that? Right outside Lubbock, isn't it? Yeah, southeast. I know where that is. Yeah, I yeah. like I like those little towns. I say Midland, Odessa because the town I'm from is not big enough to be on the maps, and that's what, what is it. it? Uh, so it's Greenwood. It's just west of Midland. Yeah. Um, it's a small, small, small place. Um, well, it was when I left. I don't think it is anymore. Yeah. But it, it was when I left. But uh, I have a special affinity when I talk to Texans because I miss the accent. And so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I like it. Uh, but no, I am familiar with Father Rohr. Um, I love his work. I've never read any of the stuff that he's done on the Enneagram, though, but I've heard him speak of it. Uh, it's always been something, if I'm honest, that I've never quite approached in a way that I felt like I could be genuine because I didn't feel like I had the, the right knowledge base. And I've mm-hmm. always been afraid that I'll just you know, take a test online and I'm a nine because that's what the test says. And then I would pigeonhole myself with a lack of information. Uh, so there's always been that in the back of my head. I have so much to say about that, but I'll try to be brief. No, say it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like tests at all. We never use them. Uh, we did when I first started teaching and in our community and our Institute for Spiritual Formation, the indicators of the test proved to be wrong a high percentage of the time after people had heard the Enneagram taught orally. So um, I also said I would never write a book and I, I've co-authored one and written another. So I, I gave up on that. But I, I feel so strongly about the test because um, your Enneagram number is determined by your motivation for behavior and not by your behavior. So there's two sides to everything. And I'm so glad that the Enneagram is really popular right now. But at its best, the Enneagram is deep spiritual wisdom that can help you be a better human being. And I sure don't want that to get lost in the frenzy of um, how fun it seems to be for some folks. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know that it's fun. Like as I've read through a a cursory review, and and to be clear, I did go to um, you co-wrote that book that you're talking about is, oh gosh, yeah, with with Ian Cron, and I I did take the test on his website many times, and I kept getting the same number, and I'm not sure that I agree with it. 
um, just because I wanted to have some form of a knowledge base for today. But uh, but yeah, well, the test on his website was a a disagreement between us. <laughs> you, so, I, I assume you didn't want there to be a test. I didn't want to do that, right? Yeah. But you know, it's gotten uh, it, it generates interest. Yeah, absolutely. So, what do you mean by parlor trick? Do you mean just just taking it face value and and that people just say, "Oh, well, I'm a I'm a three, so moving on now." I'm also a Taurus. Is that what you mean by that, or I do mean that, but I also find that people uh, then start to assign numbers to other people, hmm. and I. I'm I'm in deep and have been for 25 years and I don't assign numbers to people because you're too often wrong. There's no, there is no guarantee that, you know, the, the reasons behind the behavior of other people. And I, I just don't want, you know, every, we're very reductive as a society. We want to get things fast and easy and we're accustomed to sound bites And the thing that differentiates the Enneagram from all the other systems that are like it is that you can do something with this because it's non-static. So once you know your number, which is determined uh, part genetically and part environmentally, but it's well honed by the time you're five. if, If you know your number, then you have a chance of being a healthier, better human being by doing the work that is available in Enneagram Wisdom. To wrap that into your book, so you alluded to you didn't want to write books, and I appreciate you uh, reneging on that promise to yourself and writing them, because <laughs> I've enjoyed The Path Between Us, and I have not read your first one with Ian. What, if someone goes to Books A Million and Barnes & Noble or Amazon, and for those listening, I recommend you do that at the end of this listening. It is, I like the book, uh, for many reasons, and we'll get into that later. What is... For someone picking it up, they like the green cover. They're like, what is this? What is what is your intention for them? They sit down, they read it, and what do you want them to take away? That there are nine ways of seeing and nine ways of processing what we see. And that most people think that we're all pretty much alike and we're actually not. And it doesn't do any good to talk to people in a way that they can't hear you. And any kind of true resolution of conflict or disagreement is a result of shared understanding and affirmation, not of someone winning and someone losing. So one of the reasons that I wrote The Path Between Us is is actually for my grandchildren. I have seven and I'll have eight in August. And I find the world to be more and more tribal, more and more angry more and more judgmental, and I find that there's less grace and less mercy as we um, journey together. And the thing that I, I don't know what I love most about the Enneagram, but one of the things that I most love is that it's accessible for everybody who's a junior in high school or older. Our God is the friend of silence. Our God is the friend of silence Our 
So, you know, I do a, a lot of work in big churches. I uh, am called in to work with church staffs, and I teach on college campuses and in hospitals. And in uh, big churches, if they bring somebody in to do a staff work day, they call ahead, almost all of them, and say, well, who should come? And my answer is everyone. Everybody on the staff should come. And not many people get to give that answer. So in hospital work, people who are presidents of hospitals and in leadership in hospitals are aggressive, and they have to be. And so what I used to do is make charts for the hospitals where I work for people to be able to um, work better with the people who report to them. And those charts are now part of the path between us. I have many questions. One of them I want to dovetail off of what you said earlier. So you had said most of the time in kids, that number is already there by five. Is that what you yep. said? Well, being that I have a nine-year-old, a five-year-old, and one that in a few days will turn three. How do I figure out what my kids' numbers are? Um, I'd, I'd like to talk about my wife, and, and especially because the path between us is all about relationships, but I can't think that you wrote the book specifically for those that are married because I have relationships with people that I work with and that I go to church with and that I see at Food Lion. But how do I discern or figure out what my children are? Or is that even a question I should be asking? That's not the question you should be asking. And... Um, I did write the book for people you work with, people that are in your neighborhood, people in your extended family, the ones you like and the ones that you don't like, and for couples and partners, etc. So um, the question to ask about the Enneagram parenting is, how can I be the healthiest person I can be so that I can model what my children uh, can most benefit from? But once you become a student of the Enneagram, it's very difficult not to think, well, I think she might be an aggressive number. She's just five, but she's pretty aggressive, which would mean that she's a three or a seven or an eight. And so um, I um, don't work with children. My daughter, who's 40, and her husband have doing, been doing Enneagram work with me for 18 years, and they are going to start doing some Enneagram and parenting workshops but they're going to focus mainly on how parents can be healthy and what stance their children are in, which will either be withdrawing, aggressive, or dependent. So that's a big discussion that we can't have right now in terms of stances. But, but what I want to say is that when I do work with children, it's in the adoptive, post-adoption community, and I use animals instead of numbers. Hmm. What do you mean you use animals? Well, I let I, I let I lead parents and children into discovering which of nine animals they think they are based on the behaviors and the way of being in the world of those animals, as opposed to assigning a number that seems to come with so much baggage that it's not very freeing and perhaps not helpful. Sure. So like if I was an aggressive animal, I'd be like a, a tiger or a I, well, I don't I don't know. A shark. I don't know. Yeah. Let me run through the numbers for you because people will want to know. So ones are worker bees and twos are kangaroos and threes, which are an aggressive number, are eagles and fours are butterflies and fives are owls and sixes are bunny rabbits and sevens, which are an aggressive number, are monkeys and eights. The third aggressive number are lions and nines are turtles. 
I do no, reading the book and hearing those animals. Those make sense. Um, I like that. Um, I like that a lot. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to chew on that more. I wasn't prepared for the conversation to go that way. Um, <laughs> so, ah, yeah, that derailed my brain a bit. That's fine. Um, so, is there a better in dealing with relationships? I have to think that the answer is no, but I don't know why. Are there better numbers that just do better in the type of relationships that our world currently requires? You know, that's a really common question, and it's easier for me to say where I think there would be more struggles with certain numbers. But let me say this. In in this movement constantly between being healthy or average or unhealthy in your number, and that's constant movement. So anybody who says to me, you know, I'm, I'm really healthy in my number just most of the time, then my response is very quick, and that is you're unhealthy then. If that's what you think, you're you're kind of missing this because the movement is constant and most of us operate out of high average behavior in our number. So having said that, I want to add that to be the healthiest person you can be working with somebody else who's trying to be healthy, any two numbers can work together well and any two numbers can work out life together as a couple. I think the greatest gift the Enneagram offers maybe is the understanding that we're just having different experiences all the time. We're we're having the same experience, but our response to it is different because of how we see the world. And the Enneagram teaches us how we see the world. And so what Joe and I learned to do once we learned the Enneagram was to talk with one another about a big question for us still today is, how do you see that? What do you see when you look at that? How do you hear that? Because it's different for each of us. And when we first started learning the Enneagram, when I first started reading about it, Father Roar challenged me to study for five years before I started teaching. And I did it, mostly because he's Father Roar and you kind of just trust whatever he says <laughs> and you just do it. I'm a real talker. It was hard for me. <laughs> But uh, we raised our kids, we have four of them, and we raised them with uh, working through conflict in family meetings. And anybody could call one. And I'd been reading Enneagram books and sharing information with Joe for about two years. And the children called a family meeting. And they sat on the sofa in age order and looked at me and said, we don't know what you're reading, but we'd like for you to put it away. And that's because their lives were changing dramatically based on what I was learning about how they see the world. Hmm. And it was kind of a joke, but not really a joke. It was like, you seem to know something that we don't know. And it's kind of messing us up in terms of getting what we want and getting our way and uh, being treated uh, differently when we need correction of some kind. Let me give you one more example. Okay. Uh, My husband is head of congregational care at a 17,000 member church, and he has a staff of people who, uh, if you're in our church and you're in the hospital, you get visited every day. And in that reality, that staff knows enough about the Enneagram from my teaching there three times that they can walk into a hospital room and know that some people need to be touched. Some people need a lot of privacy. Some people need you to sit down and hear their story. Some people don't want you to stay long. And it's completely changed pastoral care for that group of people. Hmm. So how do they then turn around and 
and do that when they leave their posts. So he, I mean, he's got the staff works underneath him. They're really good at knowing this. How do they then teach that to the people that replace them? Well, we don't have that yet because he's only been there eight months. So, you know, but I would say that there is a lot of available information. So if if everybody in congregational care read the path between us, then you, you there's a lot of guidelines in the path between us for how to treat people and how to recognize how people need to be treated. Sure. So how do I know my number, Suzanne? I sit down, I read the book, and I and I take your wisdom and I don't take the test. How do I know which numbers, and specifically from what I briefly understand about triads, how do I know where I fit into this whole thing? I try really hard when I'm on other people's podcasts and even on my own not to advertise my stuff. Oh, feel, not free, to I, feel free because your podcast is amazing. So feel free. <laughs> okay. Well, I think listening to the Enneagram journey will help, but here's what I want to say. We have just now released in individual numbers and in a package a Know Your Number workshop that I recorded in Portland about 18 months ago. And on iTunes, you can buy the individual numbers. And uh, if you don't know your number, then you can buy the zip file that has every number. And once you hear it orally, with one exception, then pretty much you go, oh, my gosh, that's me. That's me. And, you know, it was an oral tradition until the 1970s. And it could be as old as 3,000 years old. So people learned it orally for a very long time. And I, in my experience, think it's easier to hear nuance than it is to read nuance. Mm. But The Road Back to You is a really good primer. It's real. I'm proud of it. And it's a really good primer for knowing your number. And then how does that relate with triads? And so I say that to say when I continued to take the test over and over, it gave me an eight. And I will say, listening to, to hearing what you said, that as I, as I read through and I've listened to some of your other episodes of your podcast, that sounds a lot like me, but uh-huh. only about half of the time. Um, and I've asked other people's and they're like, no, I can see that. Um, but I've also been like assigned a two and a five and I don't, I feel like none of those sound like me, but maybe I'm just missing the boat. Okay. Well, part of that movement on the Enneagram is that when you're really stressed, you intuitively take on the behavior of another number and that's how you take care of yourself. And when you're really secure, you intuitively have available to you some characteristics of yet a third number. And two, eight, and five would say to me that you're probably an eight because eights take on two energy when they feel secure and they take on five energy when they're particularly stressed. So five energy in you if you're stressed would would look like this. You would be probably in a leadership position, getting a lot of stuff done, moving quick getting bored with people sharing too much and telling you the stories and all of that, feeling like you got a lot to do and you want to be collegial, but you make your friends outside of work. And then you learn that you have to invite people to the table because you can't lead a group that you haven't joined. And so you begin to try to, to, to work more collaboratively. And then sometimes people just get you all whipped up. And so you take on some five energy and you pull back. 
And when you pull back, then you regroup and you enter with new energy. And that's if you're healthy. If you're not healthy, when you pull back, you just take your marbles and go home. Well, and people aren't sure when you're going to re-engage. Okay. So see, when you say it out loud, that is actually me. But when I read it, it wasn't. And so I can see where you're coming at with the test. Um, and, and being that we don't know each other, I, I am in a leadership role. I'm a manager at a bank. And so yeah, that all, yes. So see, now I'm not as, as quite put together as it was a minute ago, just being honest. <laughs> and so getting back to the, just kind of the theme of, of the church. So I've gotten some pushback from people saying, well, there is no place for the Enneagram in the church. It's not in the Bible. When you hear that pushback, and I can't think that you've never heard it, what, right. what is the answer to that? Is there a, a home for something that is not, quote unquote, in the Bible, in the church, like the Enneagram? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's my answer. I have come to believe that the as a Christian, the authority in my life is Jesus. And that's the Jesus that I read about and know from the Gospels. And the command seems to be over and over and over to love. And Jesus seems to always go get who's on the outside and invite the people on the top to move down a bit and the people on the bottom to come up. And I think the Enneagram helps one I think knowledge and wisdom from the Enneagram helps one do all of those things better. The Enneagram is not doctrine and it's not dogma and it doesn't claim to be. It's just helpful. And I think it's true. And I don't ever get caught in defending the Enneagram. You know, if people find it, uh, if they don't like it, that's okay. It's just one spiritual wisdom tool. And frankly, um, I think it's better when it's used with others. Um, I'm a I'm a big proponent for contemplative practice, and I think the Enneagram offers a lot more if you also have a contemplative practice. And um, you know, I've, I've the road back to you was is popular, and the path between us is doing well. And I've been on lots of podcasts and had done a lot of interviews. And a consistent question is. What's dangerous about the Enneagram? And I really respect that. I think that's a good question to ask. And here's my answer. If you take it to be more than it is, it's just one tool. It's really a good one. But it's not the end-all, be-all of anything. And people who don't know it do just fine. How often do you find that people elevate it to something more than it should be? People either don't take it seriously enough or they and, and they make light of it, uh, the, the whole Potter game uh, idea. Or I think uh, people hope that it will help them with relationship problems that are perhaps more pathological or are, are just between pathology and the bottom of unhealthy behavior in your number. And um, it, it's, you know, people need therapy and people need spiritual directors and people need good mentors and people need all kinds of things that the Enneagram can't, can't give you. Yeah. I think maybe everybody needs a little bit of therapy, uh, depending on 
depending on where you're at in life, the world changes more quickly than it used to. And I don't think everybody's equipped to, to deal with that. And you know, because, yeah. because I'm sorry, I interrupted, but no, because it's fine. I'm 67, I'm 67 with gray hair. I have this West Texas accent that I'm glad you appreciate, but most people after eight hours of teaching find it a little rough. <laughs> uh, and, and I get away with a lot. And I literally say to every group I teach, everybody needs a spiritual director or a spiritual leader or a spiritual mentor, and everybody needs a therapist. And after that, then there are all these available wisdom tools that can help us. So I don't know if I should admit it publicly. I don't know who listens to your podcast. I hope not these folks maybe, but when I go to a bookstore and my book is in self-help, then I, I, I pretty methodically move it to spirituality. <laughs> well, I'll start doing the same thing then. Why not? <laughs> That'd be great. I'll be honest. When I see other guests of the show on and like I'm in Target or Walmart or whatever, I do move yeah. theirs to the end cap because why not? Let's do this. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> You and I could be partners in some great endeavors. (laughs) I find it's just easier to do it. And most of the time, nobody cares. And sometimes it's still there the next week. Uh, So I know that no one at Target even cares either. So it's it's fun. Why not make it available? (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've heard you speak in the past... or, or maybe you've written it either way about there's a there needs to be a difference between discernment and deciding. And can you speak to that a bit? Maybe the mantra that I use the most to make my way in the world is uh, what is mine to do. And um, Joe and I get asked more questions about discernment than any other single topic. You know, I think people are all basically really good and I think they want to do the right thing. And I think they want to know what is theirs to contribute to the community at large. One of Richard Rohr's famous one-liners that's one of my favorites is the best protection from the next word of God is the last word of God. And I don't know uh, which came first, you doing a podcast or you being uh, a bank president, manager, a bank manager, it's, same thing. It depends right? on the bank. It's all the same job. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I don't know which came first, but um, if, if being a bank manager came first and the podcast followed, then you could be in a position of saying, well, you know, I'm, I manage a bank. I, I'm not, I don't host a podcast. But God could easily call you to both. And my husband went to the with, to join the Vincentians when he was 14. He went away to high school seminary. And he was with them for 26 years and left and then asked me to marry him. And we've built this life together for 30. And the thing that is astonishing is he would say without hesitation that God called him into the priesthood and that God called him out of the priesthood. And I think once we've discerned something, we think that our life is decided. We stop listening in a way. And deciding seems to me more often than not to be kind of self-centered and discernment other-centered. 
And so one of the things I teach is that once you're, when you're trying to discern what's yours to do, once you say, how is this going to affect me? Then it moves much more toward deciding than discerning. Far as the east is from the west. Far as the east is from the west. Far as the east is from the west. In the steadfast love of the Lord, from everlasting to everlasting. The reason I ask that question is I struggle with that. I'm oftentimes feel like I should do something. And then if it doesn't go well, I wonder if I wasn't really supposed to do that. And I feel like that's still the wrong question. Whether or not it goes well or not should not yeah. impact whether or not I'm supposed to do that. Um, and, right. and to answer your question, I've been a banker much longer than I've done this. Um, yeah. I, I used to have myself, and I'll borrow something from Father Roar badly, I'm certain, because um, I haven't read him in long enough. He talks about those boxes. You know, you've got box A, and then you've got box B, and the yeah. goal is to get to box C. And I won't try to label those boxes, but I spent the bulk of my life in box A, and it's only been recently um, that I've allowed myself to question things and to question myself and to question whether or not I'm a good parent or a good husband or a good employee or a good Christian or anything. And it's been life-giving and depressing and exhilarating and also not depressing all at the same time, um, sure. which is, I don't know, I feel like I'm in the middle of a hurricane and that's, and it's okay. It's, it's, it's fine. When you, when you ask those questions, you're all, automatically better than you were when you weren't asking them. Hmm. Well, I hope so. <laughs> well, you are. You know, people who think they've got parenting down to a science and they know exactly how to do it and they're, they're prepared for everything, they aren't. They aren't. And people who are struggling with, am I living my life well? People who ask the right questions are led to different answers than people who make statements. Hmm. And you ask a lot of good questions of yourself. I'm not even talking about us here you do that well too but well thanks um yeah i want to i want to end our time because we're coming close to the end um so i want to end our time with with a question i haven't heard you ask and, and if you have you've probably done more podcasts than i can listen to and that's fine what do you find are the two most understood numbers uh not necessarily in america but that's where i live so let's say america uh, that that just they they come off in a way that society doesn't accept them or they come off in a way that that they're elevated to a position that that number probably isn't geared for. So what do you think are the two most understood types? Uh, Father Rohr uh, gave numbers to countries, and he says the United States is a three country, and I think he's absolutely right. So threes in our country, we, we all have some three in us because it's the cultural game of sorts. But threes who are Americans, particularly threes who live in a three city. So I live in a three city and in a three country in Dallas. We, we like threes. Threes are aggressive and smart and they, they uh, can morph into whatever is required uh, to make a sale or to make things work. And we, we really like that. But eights are a different thing. So as a male eight, 
you do really well. People, I bet you've had leadership positions your whole life, some that you sought and some that you just ended up in. People just voted for you because we like strong, smart men who lead well and who are decisive and who take care of the underdog. Sadly, you put those exact same qualities in a female A, and culturally, we still call her a bitch. So my daughter's 40. She's an eight on the Enneagram. She works really hard on being aware of how other people can hear her and all of that. But she's been battling that with every other female eight since she was in junior high. So those are both aggressive numbers that are received differently in the culture. Um, I think there are fewer fours than any other number. And I think fours have a pretty hard go of being understood. Lots of fours are in literal art forms, but not all are. And they are uh, people who need a lot of texture. They have lots of feelings. Their moods change quickly, so they kind of don't know what feeling to go with. And they're the only number on the Enneagram that can bear witness to pain without having to fix it. So my answer is not a cop-out, but it's uh, uh, what I have come to accept as a reality, and that is that uh, every number has an appreciable gift to offer at some time and at other times a different personality or a different way of seeing is required. And I've never, ever used the word morality in my teaching because I'm not a theologian and that's not my place until recently. But in the tradition that I come through, through Father Rohr, the belief is that a, a, a high percentage of Enneagram, of people are Enneagram sixes, not more than 50 percent, but a lot more than other numbers. And, you know, every Enneagram number is associated with a sin or a passion, and six is uh, passion or sin is fear. But it's better named as anxiety because they're concerned about possible future events. And I think we're in a time in our culture where we are in government and education and churches and other places manipulating people with fear. And I think that's immoral. That's the entire news cycle. I mean, you turn it on today there right. and for at, at recording for those listening yesterday is when um, the the U.S. embassy moved in Israel. And and that's all that you see on the news is is yeah. fear. Uh, that's right. That's never any good news ever. No. Um, no. Yeah. And so but but sixes have learned to manage fear. Because they've been scanning the horizon for danger for a long time. And sixes are the number on the Enneagram that's the most concerned about the common good. Nines are the number on the Enneagram that see two sides to everything. You know, in Enneagram wisdom, the best part of you is also the worst part of you. And the best part of nines is that they see two sides to everything. And that's also the worst part. You can't make a decision and, like that ever. That's right. That's right. That's right. You're such an ape. That's right. And so... I think right now, though, what we need to we need to listen to nines and sixes because nines see both sides and sixes know how to stay level and prepared without giving in to constant angst and anxiety. 
for for context, if if America is a three, I find most Americans don't do well at comparing ourselves to other nations. And so, what would be another nation, not necessarily a superpower, that also acts like a three? So that as we're doing a bit of self reflecting, we can be like, well, all right, well, how do they treat other people, and and how how could they you know how could they better that? So, what would be another quote unquote twin for three a three country? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I I don't I don't think there is one that's been named by by Enneagram master teachers who have assigned numbers to countries. Mm-hmm. I think that country would have to be in the West. So it would have to be Western Europe or it would have to be Canada or the United States. And um well, although um I don't know. I'm not going to answer because I don't know. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> That's totally fine. I had not. I had not planned your answer, so I had not planned that question. But it, I, as I was reflecting while you were talking, I was like, "Well, who else is a three? Yeah. Just, just okay. yeah. So um, we're the poster child. So there's that. Uh, well, Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on. And and for those listening, do go buy the book. I, I say this on every time I interview an author, and usually the books are so quasi-academic that sometimes it's hard to follow and read. That is not the case with The Path Between Us. It is extremely easy to read and challenging at the same time. And so I can't recommend it enough. Please, at the end of this, go buy the book and or move it to the end cap if that's something (laughs) that you feel comfortable with doing. But but Suzanne, thank you so much for for coming on. Um, Where can people get involved in in this work and and with you? SuzanneStabile.com everything's there. Our, our, our center's listed there and all my social media handles are there. You can get it all there. Beautiful. Well, thank you again, Suzanne, so much. You're welcome. I loved it, actually. We long for Egypt in the wilderness A kingdom made of dust Built an idol out of happiness Here is the thing. It has been months since I spoke to Suzanne. And since then, if I'm honest, I've thought more about what she said about the Enneagram and the triads. And I've I've really tried to listen to what she said about each type in brief. And I've done more research, I've done more study, and I've come to realize I think that there is at least a small portion or, or, well, there is more than a 0% chance that something in this is true. And that means that I have to sit with it more. I'm not sure what that looks like yet. But I am willing to do something with that. I'm willing to be honest with myself. And that's, I mean, that's worth it, I think. Today's music was given with permission from Paul Zock. Uh, he is a musician, a worship pastor, a pastor, someone that writes beautiful music to Jesus. You can find more information about Paul at paulzockmusic.com. As with all the other songs from each and every episode, the specific tracks from today's episode will be on the Can I Say This at Church playlist on Spotify. Thank you to the patron supporters. Facebook supporters, please remember to like and review the show on iTunes. Be blessed. Restore us again, God of our salvation. Revive us again. And